Are you ready to begin? I am. Hello, this is Sad Girl Syllabus, a commentary on media through the ages. Each season, we have a new syllabus to dive into. I'm Bethany. And I'm Mary. And we are two girls. Too sad. Let's dive into the syllabus. Yay. <laughs> the founding moms. Mom. Founding mamas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that that's what they were called until you said it like a couple weeks ago I honestly days. didn't know if I I thought I had created it but obviously yeah, of course I didn't <laughs> <laughs> just just say that you coined the term um it's fine mm-hmm. <laughs> like a hundred years later after it was coined <laughs> <laughs> the founding mothers are of course the the female spouses of the founding fathers in the American Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I was thinking about this earlier this morning that, um, you know, we talk about, we talked about like Penelope and Clytemnestra last week and um, go, like how this sad wife waiting for the husband to return from war is an, is a, an archetype that shows up um, throughout literature literary history in the west but then but there's something that happens with the mythology created around the founding mothers that like specifically serves an american purpose um and like the wives of i feel i mean maybe it's just because i've been like in the last day or so i've been doing a a lot of reading on them but i feel like the wives the spouses of like major historical figures and like nationalist countrymen you know like these patriots whatever like that became um that became mythologized and like and and used as a vehicle for cultural uh culture culture building i guess um Mm -hmm. because of the founding mothers yeah i think as much as the founding fathers are mythologized the founding mothers their spouses are kind of this like shadow figure to them but it like rounds it out right like while you have the man of action you have then this steady present force you know who remains um strong and and um and patient during it all so you have the men yeah like the impulsiveness of the american revolution um, then sort of matched with the mythologizing of the uh, founding mothers, which is, a, yeah, patient, strong, um, and I guess have fortitude uh, is what I was thinking. It's like their virtue of just continuing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I think, I don't know if it's the same necessarily now in this moment in like, um, in in this moment of late stage capitalism or whatever, but like in this like moment of like fourth wave feminism, I don't know if this is necessarily still a part of the story. However, like the wives of the American revolutionaries are definitely used as a tool. Again, as we've been saying, this like sad wife trope is like the tool to prop up 
the ability for men to leave and for men to do the impulsive thing. And then with the American Revolution, a lot of the early history, I feel like in my, in my, when I reflect back on what I learned is that it's, these women are um, used as a tool or used as evidence to show the well-roundedness of the revolutionary men. And mm -hmm. the revolutionary men have these, uh, they're depicted as leading completely rich, full lives, which they are sure, but, but because they were able to found a country and also they had families or whatever. And, yeah, but you if you really have it all, <laughs> if you're sorry. a man, <laughs> um, and <I> sorry, <laughs> keep going. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, but yeah, if you reverse that, the reverse is not true. Um, maybe now in, in recent years, like more research has been done or more of an effort to compile the the life story of these women mm -hmm. has been mm -hmm. like sort of counteracts that um but but yeah still it's it's just like would these women have ever had their stories told had they not been the spouses I mean that's just like a that's sort of a futile question I guess but right it's a futile question but it's worth it to just like keep it in mind yeah that they're even when being um, sort of praised for the things that they, they did in life, it's always in relation to the man in their life. Like we wouldn't be talking mm -hmm. about them if not for that man figure and the things that they do that the accomplishments they have is either in, yeah, is um, for the glory of husband and again nation state um <laughs> yes yeah yeah the the husband is the stand-in for the nation state totally. right right <laughs> and um and yeah I just I think about like how many other women in that time there are so many other women who are living in um in the colonies the 13 colonies and they were participating in this like philosophical discourse of like mm -hmm. enlight how do you apply the philosophy of enlightenment to um a democratic government to like step away from monarchy and uh so many it's true that so many women were participating and so there's so many other women who had these like illustrious histories who contributed thought but again because they didn't have a noteworthy husband to to attach to like their writings are never were never saved and recorded or compiled right um right but but i think that you know the the good of the founding mothers is sort of the it's just like okay you can you can safely assume that there were for every one founding mama there were probably like 12 other women <laughs> mm -hmm. who were part of yeah the part, yeah right and attempting to make inroads in a place that wasn't um, hospitable to them. And of course, also goes without saying that like all of these um, founding fathers and founding mothers are wealthy, at least by the time that they're involved in like the founding of Congress and the founding of American government are extraordinary, like they are wealthy landowning citizens, yeah. you know, considered citizens at the time versus who I think probably a lot of other people who don't get recorded even though their actions might have been 
and instrumental. Well, I think you're getting at like, you're getting at this, this idea of like belonging, like mm -hmm. belonging in this, like um, in these colonies in this new community and a newly formed government. But like, um, what is that? How, how do you define belonging in a very codified patriarchal society? Right. And which can be said, I mean, that that's mapped onto women, but also like people of color as well. Um, it's safe to assume that like for every one like flash of an African-American who contributed something to the American Revolution philosophically or like tangibly, whatever, like there's many others probably. But again, it's because of this like, um, which is an obvious thing to state, I guess, but because of right. the codified like uh, hierarchy patriarchal like you can like defined as patriarchal and also white supremacist because it is um those hierarchies like yeah disallow belonging yeah and remove voices from like canonization mm -hmm. right like they only allow so many stories to be told mm -hmm. and those get to be the founding fathers and by consequence their wives mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I saw, this is the link that I sent you from the Women's Museum mm -hmm. in LA, this like list, a listicle. <laughs> um, yeah. When listicles were like really popular, like 2012 to 2016 or whatever, um, that named all the eight, or they named eight founding mothers, which I don't know if the Women's Museum in California has the authority to like like I don't know if this is like a full consensus amongst historians that there were eight of them and these are the eight but for the purposes of this episode uh they are Abigail Adams the wife of John Adams Phyllis Wheatley who is um an African-American poet um Deborah Sampson who was really interesting ended up like uh essentially cross-dressing as a man so that she could fight in the war so that she could be a soldier. She was um, the American Mulan. Um, Martha Washington, George Washington's wife, Mercy Otis Warren, who I can't really remember what she did. Uh <laughs> <laughs> she was a lady. Um, you know, she was a writer. Oh, okay. She's like one of the first American women to write for a public audience, like included oh. dramas, and some of those were like historical and propagandist. So in 1805, um, she wrote a history of the rise, progress, and termination of the American Revolution. Oh, um, she told the story. Um, I literally read that from um, the Women's Museum. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Women's Museum of California, Thank inspiring you. the future. Um, and then, yeah, Esther Reed, um, was, oh, the, she's the Ladies Association of Philadelphia, which is basically just like war effort lady group. Dolly mm -hmm. Madison was James Madison's wife. And of course, everybody's favorite founding mother, Elizabeth Schuyler. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hamilton. Did you ever like finish <laughs> watching it? Did you no. just <laughs> But I I have heard it before. Yeah. You know, like I I had heard the the I think the, the whole tracking and 
when it came out, I remember being like, oh, cool. And then, yeah, we tried to watch the uh, filmed version, just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't do it. I do will say that film stage adaptations, I find pretty difficult to watch. I don't find, they, they become, I feel like pretty boring. Yeah, uh, yeah, they are. They are, because I, I mean, maybe if I were seeing it for the first time now, I would be like completely disenchanted. I did get a chance yeah. to see it on Broadway um, when Lin-Manuel right. Miranda was still in it. And um, this was back in 2016. And I got like really swept up in it. I was like, wow, cool. But it's, yeah, I mean, stage, stage illusion and stage magic is like really, you can't, yeah, live theater is like, there absolutely is an energy. Right. And, and I think also in that one particularly, it's like sort of a pretty sparse stage. Mm -hmm. um, they have these like rafters that they're moving around, which mm -hmm. look cool. And but I think like the choreography and the rafters, you really have to be there in person to like totally appreciate that. Yeah. It, it doesn't translate that well to like a, a camera. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is cheesy as hell if you just listen to the. <laughs> Yeah, I did not coin this. Boyfriend did, but the it does feel like the NPRification of of the American Revolution. Yeah, it totally is. You know, like okay, so we're gonna <laughs> pretend that we're gonna get into serious issues, but we're actually not gonna touch them at all. Um, and I had just finished watching, rewatching the John Adams HBO miniseries. Oh, which yeah. Has a very, very different portrait of Hamilton. Yes. Where he's like sort of a proto fascist kind of yeah. story. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of fun to actually see the like different ways of telling that story. Yeah. Hamilton. Yeah, it is. It is a very, it is a quite, quite a stark difference. And, and you're right. I think in, in the notes, you had said that you actually, you kind of liked the, the depiction of Abigail Adams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not so much like liked. I just thought it was interesting because it, it does sound, and I think in other accounts as well, they represent her like this as um, really being a partner with John, you know, like she's definitely in a woman's role at the time. Yeah. No doubt about that. It's not like she's interfering or actively in politics, but she is like a confidant and gives advice, trusted advice on political matters mm -hmm. that actually makes an impact. At least that's how they show it in the show. And I believe from historical accounts, um, the other people in John's life, political figures knew how much of an impact she made on his decisions, which I thought was interesting um depiction obviously you're not gonna see much more than that for a lot of those women mm -hmm. um I think Dolly Madison kind of gets sort of a similar rep but it's more of like a preservationist legacy holding role same with Elizabeth um Schuler. uh Tyler just joke <laughs> I totally watched the movie. Um, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't uh, make it to track number seven, the Skylar sisters though. I'm just kidding. I'm I just did, kidding. I did, but I was like, I know that's not right. I know that's, I'm just going like, if I saw that name, 
on a piece of paper <laughs> and read it. I'd say sure. Um, <laughs> I would too. Uh, I would too. But I don't know that, that she's like more of um yeah they represent that relationship as more equal footing. Yeah. Between the two, personally. Yeah. 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 And Laura Linney is like a formidable ass bitch. Yes. <laughs> One thing that I was like, I totally forgot was in that show was um, she gets her family inoculated from the pox. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like the first time they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, you know, you could die, right? And then they showed how they did the inoculation back then, which yeah. is like... so gross like there's a dying man dying of the pox just you know on the street on the street basically like he's in the doctor's cart just like Uh, yeah like dying there and the doctor will take a pox like a a boil from him (laughs) and then cut go into the house cut into the patient's arm and put part of it in there it's so and I was like wow I guess we can't complain uh, <laughs> yeah it's much worse yeah that's really freaky it's like the it's the um truly the pivot point of like between the age of like bloodletting and, <laughs> and vaccination <laughs> yeah oh it's so it's gross like, oh, yeah just push it in there fully get infected um and uh yeah and 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 abigail adams is the one who is quite insistent on it but that is it's an important piece to understanding abigail adams as a person because she's like she is clearly on the forefront she's reading material that's Mm -hmm. really new and coming out and she's um which is obviously in the 1700s, it's not easy to come by information. Like she's actively seeking out um, the most cutting edge information and studies. And so, and that's like a big, um, that is another big clue into what these women's lives were like. People um, like by virtue of only knowing a tiny facet of these women's lives, like like Betsy Ross, for example, uh, and like the yeah. flag and people are just like, oh yeah, Betsy Ross made the flag. Like all she did was sit at home and embroider. And it's like, no, like embroidering takes time, but she also had time to do other shit too. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you're also like sort of tasked with making the identity of a new country yeah, in some way, you know? Yes. Um, and that's a big role. That is a big role. Yes. Even when it seems like, you know, diminished as women's handiwork or something like that yeah totally and and yeah it's um require yeah I mean I don't need to go on a tangent defending craft but like (laughs) (laughs) but I mean you know to in order to make a flag and to like really think about it to like be a designer you have to understand you have to understand um visual communications you have to understand Mm -hmm. um what flags mean um and like and and understanding reference points. I mean, so many different republics have red, white, and blue because of what those colors mean. So yeah, it's a, it's a, a deep interior 
life of uh, like, and I mean, you know, thinking, like thinking, meditating, reading lots of information. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I do love Laura Linney's portrayal of Abigail Adams. <laughs> She's pretty good. It was pretty good. I didn't think I was going to like it rewatching it, but it was enjoyable. Also, like the amount of effort they put into what it looks like to get old at that time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> John had a lot of rotting teeth and it was they don't shy away from that. And they put they paint like liver spots like onto yeah. Paul Giamatti's head. I, that really stuck yeah. with me. I know. I was like, ooh. Too much. Too graphic. <laughs> too much. <laughs> and um, something that I also wanted to touch on too is that this um this like new uh, the, the current wave of feminism that we're in, this like millennial feminism where women's roles are like fetishized and mm -hmm. um and sort of like what are the women's what about the ladies contributions which is great like obviously you should always say like what about the ladies contributions but it um i think about the patriot the mel gibson that's mel gibson right yeah and i mel gibson is in there <laughs> i feel like <laughs> that is uh, an example <laughs> um i haven't yes, seen mel that. gibson is Is, is an example of, um, I haven't seen that in, in many years, but I do remember, I feel like I remember the the women in that film specifically being like, oh, and the, like, they're very domestic. They have like moments of, um, moments of genius for things like, how do we turn a household item into a tourniquet? Or like, how do you right. turn this household item or like a children's toy into bullets, you know? And, um, yeah. and so it's, to me, that portrayal of like a, a general SWAT, cause also the Patriot, is that about anybody in particular? It's just sort of about life at that time. It's about, yeah, life at the time. I don't think Mel Gibson's character is based on anyone. Mm -hmm. um, he's like great at hunting down British soldiers. The redcoats. Um, well, that that sort of gets at my point perfectly then, because it's like this idea, like they just want to that story. The screenplay wants to portray like life during the 18th century, and um, and life during the American Revolution, and they can't think beyond, like when they portray women, they can't think beyond just like, oh yeah, well, women since they like were always at home taking care of babies and cooking like all they're doing is sort of contributing to the war effort in that in that space where it's just like and and I think that it's like this um I think that it is a very millennial or proto-millennial fetishization of like women's contributions and and spe but specifically still relegating it to domestic contribution in a weird way yeah yeah no I think that's totally accurate also in that movie, I was actually, I rewatched some of it before this. Um, Mel Gibson like falls in love with his dead wife's sister. 
and the, the wife is dead but yeah long before the movie begins um <laughs> which like it just feels it's like oh one woman replaces the other they're related they're basically the same um yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I think the only other like I think there's a daughter which you know she doesn't do very much and then um Heath Ledger's love interest oh yeah That's I forgot like that she was in that story. yeah and she also is like like she's very bright and charming and she kind of gives a speech in the church to be like you should support the war effort um mm -hmm. to all the men who are scared but it is like and he she dies also um everybody does uh <laughs> mm -hmm. um but it is yeah again like both of those women are praised and raised for their domesticity and and um that's their feature right is yeah is of the house um which is not a bad thing but yeah there doesn't seem to be much there beyond it you know there's no yeah there's no real exploration beyond right and yeah like what else do you do inside of a house you read you read your books and you like think and you have discourse like that's the whole purpose of like salons and shit it wasn't that is, I think, the other thing that is left out of this um, sort of fetishization of, quote, women's roles. And, um, like, women are in the domestic space only, so that means that they're only doing domestic things. But it's like, what else do you think happened there? <laughs> they are in discussion, they're readings, you know, stuff like that. It wasn't just revolutionary front lines and Congress. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Like you have you have to have all so many other people acting, right? You know, you can't have these eight men that you established as the founding fathers being the only actors. Mm -hmm. Um and so it is kind of sad that we don't have more life at the time kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. movies, especially from people of different classes. Yeah different races yeah um and different genders it's um it seems so lacking of of what things were like it's such a small picture yeah yeah I did want to talk about this um the Phyllis Wheatley woman mm. um who uh I thought it was interesting that um I, I thought so in this in this art this listicle <laughs> um that you know every woman is given like four sentences <laughs> to describe her life um but this person phyllis wheatley is uh kidnapped and brought over to the americas from west africa and um she was and her the the slave owners her family that were her family taught her how to read and write um and then and she became the first published african-american poet um, and was quite in favor of American independence, um, and then, and then wrote poems honoring George Washington, which, like, I, it, that's also interesting to me as, in terms of, like, okay, this person who is, um, brought over, she was brought over in the slave trade when she was seven years old, and, like, this child is brought over and then indoctrinated with propaganda, <laughs> um, that's, like, a whole complex, like, 
thing to get into as well. Um, and life at the time of, um, for, for slaves and, um, or enslaved people that, uh, they have this indoctrination, they're, um, contributing to the, the culture building. Um, but there is something, something deeper there. Um, and she, she met, uh, Phyllis Wheatley met George Washington, um, in Boston wow. at the Capitol. Yeah. She sent, uh, she sent a poem to him. <laughs> and so, I don't know, it's, it's a forked, it's a forked thing. It's good and bad because she also, again, yeah, the first published African-American poet, um, that's a, wow. yeah, that's a step. Um, but at what cost? Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was funny that Dolly Madison also is like described as, or Dolly Madison is a, it's attributed to her as defining the role of the spouse of the president, <laughs> defining the role of the first lady for like decorating the White House. <laughs> right. That is, I mean, that is still is like a large part where it's like, like, you know, people make a big deal of the White House Christmas decorations and it's like the first lady did it. And it's like, did she? Yeah, seriously, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then the other thing too, that I thought was really funny during the Trump presidency is that people were like criticizing Melania Trump for like not really participating in that and like not really having a hand in that. And I was like, why are we criticizing her for that? I thought we were critiquing the whole practice of like first lady doing that, like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I remember her like, one one year the Christmas decoration people like lost it because it looked like <laughs> Star Wars like Death Star Christmas decorations. <laughs> They're like really intense and like red trees. <laughs> <laughs> that is so intense. I mean, but that's um, that's also like kind of cool. Like you know, yeah, yeah. something different. Uh, um, no, I mean, it's stupid. It's so dumb. <laughs> and, and yeah, like, I just, I think that if the situation were flipped, I mean, this is, it's dumb to think about this kind of hypothetical, I guess, because now there's like no going back, but um, like, it, it's so codified for 250 years, basically. But uh, if, if the woman were president, or if, if, even if, the United States had been like more on a Great Britain trajectory where there was like, they had Margaret Thatcher in the eighties. Um, they had like their first lady prime minister in the eighties. And uh, <laughs> um, um, not to say that like the United States should have had a Margaret Thatcher, um, but yeah, the like, would the husband have like, would it have been like, oh, the first gentleman of the United States, like he is doing this, this, and this for like this, the role of the spouse of the president. Like it, it just definitely wouldn't. Um, no, yeah. And they all have like, the first ladies also always have their like campaign, you know, like yeah. their cause. Yeah. And it's usually always involving children. Yeah. Um, to some extent. So like uh, Michelle Obama had uh, like a fitness. Yeah. Um, like, yeah fitness and health yeah but for, centered on kids yeah. um melania had like an anti-bullying campaign or something oh, yeah 
and then well i guess you do have barbara bush with uh like war on drugs which wasn't good what was laura bush's i can't I remember no i could be confusing my bushes as well <laughs> Uh, Laura Bush implemented the initiatives Take Time for Kids, an awareness campaign to educate parents and caregivers on parenting, um, family literacy, uh, a reading campaign. So it seemed like, yeah, it was just literacy. Yeah. But they're, yeah, they seem to be all kid focused. Yeah. You know, so they're, again, like, they're not just the first wife, they're the first mother. You know, it's always yep. centered on the yep, mother exactly. and domesticity. I think um, I think you can quest ask this question. I was just, I'm going to backtrack a little bit on my stance that like now we're too far gone to, to properly um, hypothesize about this. However, to uh, specifically about like if a woman was a, was a um, diplomat, like would the husband be defining a spousal role you can sort of Mm -hmm. if you look back at like an English monarchy you can sort of ask this question and um and I realized that it like well it's interesting to ponder (laughs) because um when a like because a monarchy is based on the based on heirs and based on who is born first and in the in, in the um in the instance that a that a woman is born and she becomes queen like her her husband like isn't defining any kind of like spousal role but I mean I guess that's mm-hmm. a little bit uh I guess it's kind of a moot point because like the queen also isn't defining like it's really all about whoever whatever the monarch whoever the monarch is and whatever they're doing to uh uh put for like conquer like whatever they're doing to conquer as much land as possible um and it's less about that's why it's interesting this notion of like sad wives and the wait the women waiting and the women building this uh grand narrative for the hero i think that it's interesting Mm -hmm. that it takes place in these republic um sort of democratic societies like Mm -hmm. ancient greece was democratic and of course like the american revolutionaries were obsessed with uh classical antiquity and they were neoclassical in a lot of their culture and so and in order to it's interesting this move toward democratization it's like well everybody has a role Mm. right that's a great point it's like well you it is attaching a political politicalization of the home which maybe we hadn't seen before by just simply assisting that, like a woman is a patriot by being a good wife <laughs> and keeping a good home yeah. for the uh, their man, for their family. Yeah, and um, now yeah. I was gonna say, and now in this like blogification of like the, these mommy blogs, um, yeah. there's there's a, a rhetoric thread that I see over and over again about how like, well, the woman's, the woman's role is to keep the home and to and to like keep the hearth and whatever to like maintain a place where the man can come to rest but then also it's like and then you also have to have multiple kids this is seen more in 
religious families, but like you have to raise the children. The mother is responsible for raising the children to raise the boys, the little boys as the next leaders <laughs> of the world and to raise the little girls to be moms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems, yeah, you have to instill it young because that's the only place they're gonna get it, I guess, in this new age of America or something. That's how they act, uh, yeah. this yeah. corrupt um, landscape. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think even to one point I saw someone um, listing like how household responsibilities should be dictated and um, if boys should do them or girls should do them, the children, different kinds of chores based on their gender. Oh my God. That's uh, fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's just like, this is. The, um, the, the parish where I, like where I went to church when I was growing up, like had a pretty significant um, turnover of, of what order of priests were there. And um, when, like when I was in high school, I think a new, a new order took over and they were so extremely trad. Um, mm -hmm. They were rad trad, radical traditionalists. Um, <laughs> and they forbade, it used to be that women could be altar servers in my church and they yeah. forbade girls from being altar servers and it was just like that's keep it to the boys jobs the women's ministry is in hospitality which is like yeah mirrored in secular in the secular world as well diplomats mm -hmm. wives like that thing that i um yes sent you yesterday <laughs> That's why it's in jello. <laughs> yeah, in the 40s and 50s. Post, yeah, that gets that gets into the like post, like the men have returned from war. And so now what are the ladies <laughs> gonna do? They're gonna make a fuck ton of jello. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh Oh yeah, you have this note about Betsy Ross being like not, uh, not a oh, spouse. Yeah. Well, yeah, she is like one of the few, and we've talked about, we mentioned a few, you know, like Phyllis Wheatley and um, who are these American revolutionary uh, figures who are women. And um, she's one of the few, yeah, not defined by their spouse, but by their actions. Mm -hmm. um, yet at the same time, I feel like very similar to Phyllis Wheatley, um, Betsy Ross gets two lines in your history book in high school of like, mm -hmm. you're like, where did this person even come from? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like what was their selection? Um, yeah. You just don't know anything about them, but beyond that one thing, they get two sentences. Um, and then we move on. Like I, yeah. So I just yeah. do find it interesting of like of the the women we know as singular women, not attached to uh, a founding father. Um, very little is mm -hmm. retold about them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I I do wonder about um, 
like the the historical effort that goes into like making hagiographies about people um like really dedicated to searching for and compiling information about them so much could be said about again yeah this is also backtracking a little bit but so much could be said about Betsy Ross as a flag maker um in terms of you can start by asking the question why did they need a flag what is the importance of having that national identity um and because it was important to have an image to cling to that's important that's also important in terms of building nationalism um but it just doesn't have but maybe Betsy Ross doesn't get I mean maybe she she doesn't get a huge spotlight in major education curricula um because she's not like building a household or something right um but I'm sure that there that there is there has to be somewhere published like an illustrious history of Betsy Ross. Yeah, I'm sure. That's true. <laughs> um, it's just not mainstream enough. Um, I also am thinking about The Last of the Mohicans. Have you ever seen that movie? A long, long time ago. And I know my mom is rereading those books right now. <laughs> really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah, it's also <laughs> one of my mom's favorite favorites. Um, but the lady in that is like, that's like, that's maybe pre-millennial feminism and that's, um, and it's not really feminist at all because she's just like the object of desire. Right. But I also haven't seen it in many years. So maybe she has more of a role to play, but I just remember like, there's a whole like love scene. <laughs> um yeah I am I'd like to actually bring it back to Hamilton yes I feel like um and Elizabeth Schuyler uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> no don't be sorry uh I should know her name uh especially because to me that really feels like this like weird fetishization of a character who obviously did a lot a lot had a long life did lots of things in her life yeah but even in the last and and should be praised for them mm -hmm. you know like the building of orphanages all of this work but at least how the musical depicts it and what she is like praised for is keeping Hamilton's legacy alive. Yes. Oh. Yeah, that's frustrating. And I always, I thought it was very weird in the musical that occasionally they would do this like, yes, like feminism, woo, um, in it. <laughs> but then also like just have her be like a pretty stereotypical wife in in these roles um yeah. of like please stay at home we need you at home um not understanding the importance of his work um and then you know and then being the the person who takes care of his legacy after mm -hmm. he dies mm -hmm. um i thought that was really weird yeah like yeah, I don't know. I thought it was sort of, yeah, like just kind of two-dimensional. 
Um, and odd that you would have this idea of like, oh yeah, feminism, and then be like, but her entire life and its entire purpose <laughs> is dedicated and built around Hampton. <laughs> that is really bizarre. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, because because they are so in the beginning of the musical, they are so like, this is feminist and like women contributed a lot to the philosophy, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah. And um, and there's that the whole storyline about, oh my God, wait, I'm just, wow, yeah. I'm, as I'm rethinking through it, like, yeah. Cause there's the whole narrative, like after he cheats and he's like wayward husband, whatever. And it's just like, yeah, Elizabeth Schuyler is like OG sad wife in America where she's right. like bringing a baby to term while he's away or whatever and like he literally like impregnates her and then she <laughs> and then goes off to war and then um and she's just like you impregnate me and then you might and then you risk your fucking life and you might leave me as a single mother like what the hell that's like sad mom sad wife sad wife sad mom um but anyway, and then, and then, yeah, there's this, like, she's praised for forgiving him after he, um, after it's made public that he paid, that he took a prostitute. And they're just like, wow, like, this is what every woman should aspire to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he is a genius and he's tireless. And like, all you can do is support him. That's what it feels like also I do have to say incredible <laughs> balls I guess on Lin-Manuel Miranda for casting himself as the lead in which there are many songs about how hot he is <laughs> and all these women are like "Ooh, he's so awesome there's multiple songs <laughs> sorry yeah yeah it's like talking about how he's a ladies man and <clears throat> yeah him being a ladies man and and then he casts himself as the ladies man yeah I don't know I think it's funny the whole like Lin-Manuel Miranda arc is is pretty hilarious to me like he was like worshipped and then he was under heavily or he was heavily criticized and then yeah um <laughs> um and what's the other one's name? Um, Angelica. Oh yeah, right. Also, by de by default, a sad wife, just be but because she has like unrequited love or some shit. Mm -hmm. Also, Angelica is given more credit as like being um, uh, like a philosophical springboard for Hamilton. Right. Yes, she is. Which sort of like you can but you can gather from another part of that story like again in the beginning of the musical when the Schuyler sisters are having their little song you get the sense that all three of them are involved again participating in conversations participating in public salons talking about John Locke talking about um, people's roles in a democratic society so Eliza and probably the younger sister too again who just gets no representation um, probably all three of them are like in heavily influencing um, the founding fathers, but Angelica, like, it, uh, yeah, it gets. There's only 
we only have time and space for a few caricatures in here, okay? <laughs> that's also the problem. I guess that's the problem with trying to like tell a history lesson in a musical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, certainly. <laughs> such a weird thing. Like, oh my God, I, you know, it's such a, what a time to be alive. We are so blessed to live in the timeline that we live in where the founding fathers are rapping about American, the American Revolution. The Hamilton timeline. <laughs> it's really took a turn. I mean, how, I, I wonder if there's a way for people to like connect the Harambe situation to, Harambe <laughs> happened after Hamilton was written, I guess. <laughs> um, if Harambe was like a major fork in the timelines, but I think Hamilton was. <laughs> underway prior to that <laughs> yeah I'd say one this is kind of taking in a different direction but just one thing to know because I do think this comes up and will come up in other episodes but um is that for a large majority of these women the war is happening pretty close to home yeah um they are you know under not under if not under attack themselves very close to battlefields um versus you know penelope is thousands of miles away from the trojan war um so there is that kind of and i think we'll talk about this later of this you know home and very far from the action versus home and really feeling like a defender of the house because yeah. there is a battle raging right next door or the you know British troops could be put up in your house at moment's notice um things like that oh yeah yeah so yeah what's that what's the um amendment about like quartering where you have yeah. to like give you have to let you have to give a section of your house to and it's still in the constitution today it has never been revoked if there if there were ever like if there was a war on American soil and if there's like a contingent of troops you would have to give a quarter of your house to an American soldier I think I think I could be totally wrong there has been so many it's definitely part of like the the British troops like no you have to house us and the Americans like really that was a big antagonistic move yeah um, but then I think it kind of comes back during the Civil War. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no. Yeah, there's like, I mean, it's such a, a tumultuous time from like, from the American Revolution up until for a for hundred years. I mean, there's the um, French Indian War. There's um, the War of 1812. Like it's, it's so, um, it's people think that this, this is all I'll say on it because it could get into a real tangent, but people think that like, we lit like, you know, the whole unprecedented times phrase and like, we're living in such a time of crisis. And it's like, well, if you were living in America from like the late 1700s up until for a hundred years, <laughs> like there was just nonstop conflict and war. So we've always yeah. been a little bit, we've always been messy. <laughs> I know, I, I need to look up, I was like, how long, like what is the length of time that the United States has not been at war. You yeah. know, like what are the years of peace? Cause it has to be like less than 20 years, no? Yeah. Like maybe 20, 30 years. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, like maybe 30. 
Um, and, and that's also probably why this sad wife archetype myth trope whatever the symbol of the sad wife can be um it's dissected mostly from an american perspective because america mm -hmm. is such an imperial um uh conflict prone nation and so much of it was fought here um yeah and so and 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 also women were not allowed to fight in the war until very very recently um so a lot of there's a lot of like cultural person building <laughs> archetype building yeah. in terms of like the women having to yeah stay at home um wonder where their husbands are find like dead soldiers crawling across their land <laughs> like during the civil war and stuff <laughs> yeah um <laughs> yeah i yeah it's the civil war is is um super interesting from that perspective um the proximity because because those battles were fought um on people's lands because it was like essentially yeah. a war that was about homeowners and right like if you were a homeowner yeah. presumably you were a slave owner too and so um an abolition meant invading your home right and for most of the south you know they were viewing enslaved people as property right, so right. you know the land and their property go hand in hand yeah um yeah so it is definitely one that's much more of a domestic you know it's obviously it's very domestic it's a civil war but it's um fought literally very close to home mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and much different and and yeah the same i guess the same can be said for something like the french indian war to sort of just because it was so proximal but but a major difference between something like the between the civil war and something like a french indian war the war of 1812 it, it's much different from the american revolution or like world war one world war two where it's like against nations that are um separated by an ocean interesting um yeah but we'll get more into that next week <laughs> <laughs> with sad wife royalty nicole kidman oh yeah oh yeah I also i need to i i would like to talk about this next episode um i wonder oh this is i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to say it so that it keeps me to my word that i would like to research if there's so there's civil war reenactments but then like, I wonder mm -hmm. if like there's um, like in within the cottage core aesthetic realm, if there's like civil war wife <laughs> bloggers. Oh, wow. That is such a great question. <laughs> yeah, that is something to look into because there's definitely like plantation or at yeah. least um, what is that term called? Uh, the Southern, like pre-war, what is that called? That era. The uh, uh, postbellum or antebellum? Antebellum. Yeah. That's yeah. Antebellum, like here we are in our big ball gowns on the plantation reenactments. Um, we're all in Gone with the Wind. Yes, aren't we cute? Yeah. Um, the whole notion yeah. of debutante balls. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, but I'm very, but like debutante balls that are, um, I can't 
totally shit talk them. I was a debutante myself. And were the- you? <laughs> I had a few friends who were debutantes, and I was like, whoa. Um, but in New Mexico, it was like a little bit different. We were called the senoritas. Oh, <laughs> that's cute. Um, and it was let. <laughs> so weird um and it was less about I I know some people some friends of mine from college who were debutantes in like North Carolina South Carolina that like it was they were they were um their whole cotillion was part of a long tradition from the antebellum period um but yeah and 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 people like to I guess yeah like the notion of debutante balls is sort of like this like cottage core reenactment but then there's also yeah influencers are like there's a few like mommy blogger influencers who have plantation properties and it's like a point of I've seen a little bit about this on TikTok (laughs) um yeah and there's all those people that get married on plantations oh yeah yeah they're wedding venues like I want to like what is I want to get married on a field of blood you know, like that's what that feels <laughs> like. Yeah, and and supremely haunted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. Oh, that's so weird. Okay, well, yeah, we'll have to really dig deep into that. Yeah, next time. <laughs> well, um, sweet. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Bethany. Catch you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye.